good to us. Even when we don't deserve it, he's good to us. Makes me think of one of my favorite scriptures that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for me, right? He died for us, and I'm so thankful for it. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for tonight. I thank you for your sweet Holy Spirit that's here, and I pray that you continue to be with us throughout this service. Go with us as the youth and the children go to their classes. Lord, touch, Lord. Anoint each speaker, Lord. God, that your word would go forth, that it would sink deep into our hearts, Lord, to produce good fruit for your kingdom. We'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, singers and musicians and youth and children. You are dismissed. <laughs> Those of you who are staying in the sanctuary, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 15. Tonight we will be in verses 22 through 32. Mark chapter 15, verses 22 through 32. If you're there tonight, go ahead and say amen. If you're not, you'll get there or it's on the screen. I'm going to go ahead and read. And they bring him into the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of the accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled which said, And he was numbered with the transgressors. And they who passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, you who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priest, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe and they who were crucified with him reviled him the crucifixion of Jesus the Son of God we just celebrated Easter and uh, talked about this but in my opinion we can't talk about the cross enough because it is at the cross where our victory was gained our victory was afforded to us but the crucifixion of the Son of God was not an accident of human history. It was a divine appointment ordained by God and prophesied in Scripture. It was, as Isaiah 53.10 says, the will of the Lord to crush him. And it was the fulfillment of numerous prophecies that had anticipated a day that was both tragic and glorious all at the same time. Tonight, I want for a moment to go through um, and parallel the scriptures that I just read to you 
to the prophecies that were given in the Old Testament. And I encourage you, if you have uh, a pen and a piece of paper or even in your phone, you can take notes, to take down these scriptures because it's so powerful when the word comes alive to you, when you can connect the dots from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It just does something to me. I don't know about you, but it just reaffirms that he knows what he's doing. He always has, before the foundation of the world was uh, laid, God had a plan. And the plan has always been for Jesus, the Son of God, to come to the earth as a baby, to to live his life 100% man on this earth, and to go to Calvary's cross to give up his life for you and for me. And it just reaffirms something inside of me when I read these Old Testament scriptures, seeing how they are now fulfilled in the New Testament. So the first one being from Mark uh, 15.23, we first read of this um, in Psalm 69.21. Psalm 69.21 says, For my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. And then we see the fulfillment of that in Mark 15, 23. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh. And I don't know about you, but when I read that scripture and the word myrrh is there, I am instantly taken back to the wise men, right? And when they brought gifts to Jesus, what did they bring him? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Wow, kind of like a a prophecy in itself that one day this would be offered to Jesus again, right? Now, we know he didn't take that, but I just think that's, I don't know, I just think that's neat that it was at the beginning of his life and at the end of his life, myrrh was offered to him. Then we find the, the parallel, Mark 15, 24, to Psalm 22 and 18. Psalm 22 and 18 says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. We see it come to pass, be fulfilled in Mark 15, 24. And they divided his garments among them, casting lots for them. Coincidence? No. Divine appointment? Yes. Prophecy being fulfilled. We find that Mark 15, 27 was first prophesied in Isaiah 53 and 12. It says he was numbered with the transgressors. Then Mark 15, 27 says, and with him they crucified two robbers. Jesus right in the middle. Thieves on his, a thief on his right and a thief on his left. Again, fulfillment of prophecy. Mark uh, 15, verses 29 through 32 were first prophesied in Psalm 22, 6 through 8. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by all people. All who seek me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Then confirmed... Mark 15, 29 through 32. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross. Verse 31. 
Likewise, also the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, he saved others himself. He cannot save. And verse 32, let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they, were and they that were crucified with him reviled him. And then Psalm twenty-two, sixteen: they have pierced my hands and my feet. Confirmed in Mark 15, 24, and they crucified him. What King Jesus endured on the cross took place right on schedule. Just as I said in the beginning, it was no accident of human history, but it was a divine appointment by the Lord God Almighty according to his plan. And the horror of the crucifixion is also the glory of the crucifixion. Jesus is dying the death that we should have died, you and me. As I spoke last week, he was our substitute. He took my place. And when we allow the Holy Spirit to, to bring this to a personal level, things, it gets real, right? You become so much more grateful when you realize he did it for me. A lot of times we get lost and we uh, are disconnected when we just think, oh, he did it for this person and, and that person. But he did it for me. He is our substitute. Jesus died our death. He is the Passover lamb who saves us with his blood. He is the covenant keeper who seals us with his blood. He is our propitiation. Jesus endured our condemnation, right? And bears the full wrath of God on our behalf. The cup of the cross is not just uh, physical suffering. It was spiritual suffering as well. Jesus was not a martyr on the cross. He was a savior who experienced the divine wrath and satisfied the holiness and justice of God. See, before the cross, we were afraid of God. Why? Because of the cross, we were now friends of God. Before, we were enemies of God. We had no way of being connected to him. But now, because of the cross, we are now referred to as friends of God. He is our reconciliation. Jesus suffered our separation that we may be brought back to God. The cry on the cross is a cry of physical agony, spiritual anguish, and most of all, relational separation from his father. His father turned his back toward his son and for three hours could not look upon him. Again, several weeks ago, as well, we spoke about Jesus being in the Garden of Gethsemane, it wasn't so much going to the cross, it was the thought of his father turning his back on him that ripped Jesus' heart out. Because from the time he was a little boy, we know he would openly say, I must be about my father's business. His heart was to always please the father. And the beauty of the cross is that even in the anguish and the suffering and the agony, he was pleasing the father because he was carrying out the divine will. 
carrying out the plan of redemption. Before the cross, we were separated from God's presence, but because of the cross... Praise the Lord. I know it's Wednesday night, but because of the cross, we now are given access into God's very presence. I mean, do we get that? We've taught it over and over and over again. The Lord's Prayer. Realizing that the very fact that we can even call him Father is all because of the cross. If it had not been for the cross, access would be denied. It would be denied. But because of the cross, we have access. So in verses 22 through 32, we have laid out before us the crucifixion. Crucifixion was the cruelest, most painful, most humiliating form of capital punishment in the ancient world. A man could suffer for several days, and Rome had perfected um, the technique to ensure maximum suffering. A Roman citizen could not be executed by crucifixion, and the shame of such a death was so great that a Roman uh, orator said the very word cross should be far removed, not only from the person of a Roman citizen, but from his thoughts his eyes, and his ears. The mere mention of them is unworthy of a Roman citizen and a free man. It was such humiliating, such a humiliating death, a shameful death, right? Reserved only for the lowest of slaves. And yet that's where we find our King, Jesus, hanging on a cross, for you and for me. 2,000 years of church history, unfortunately, um, has domesticated and sanitized the cross for modern purposes, I would say, right? We've lost the horror of what it involved. And even the four gospels say almost nothing in terms of details. Why? Well, I think there's several reasons. First of all, people in Jesus' day were fully up to date with this method of capital punishment. It was nothing new to them. They had seen this take place their entire lives, right? Uh, so they knew exactly what was happening. They had seen it too many times. They knew all they wanted to know. Second, uh, it was not the suffering... Now get this, it was not the suffering that's important to the gospel writers, but it was the one suffering. They didn't want to glorify the suffering part of it, but to magnify the one who was suffering, Jesus. To bring out the details about Jesus, it's all about Jesus. It's all about him, and if we ever forget that, we've lost our way. It's the Son of God hanging on the cross, as John 1.29 says, right? Behold, uh, the next day John sees Jesus coming unto him and says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. That's what it's about, and that's what we find the writers of the gospel focusing on, not wanting so much detail being given to the act of the crucifixion, but all of the honor and glory, everything that we could do to esteem the Lord 
and what he went through for you and for me, right? That's what it's about. We find that Jesus was taken to a place in verse 22 uh, called Golgotha, meaning the place of a skull. And this would have been outside the city walls along a public highway. Uh, The Romans wanted as many people as possible to see how they handled criminals worthy of death. They uh, then, in verse 23, uh, offered Jesus wine mixed with myrrh. Uh, This would have been a narcotic kind of drink that was given to them to dull the senses, to take away some of the pain. Um, But Jesus said no. He refused it. Why? Because he would face the agony to come with full control. He didn't want anyone to be able to say, oh, well, he didn't even know what he was doing, right? He didn't feel any of that. He felt every stripe. He felt every thorn that pierced his head. He felt it all, and he again did that in our place. Verse 24 tells us, as they crucified the Lord, they stripped him of his clothing And then they gambled, right? They cast lots for his clothes to see who would go home. And that was a normal custom of things that they did. The Roman soldiers um, were able to sell or, or take whatever the person being crucified, whatever they had on them. But I want you to think about this. The garments that he had was all that he owned. The Savior of the world. That's all he had. He didn't have a a grand estate that was going to be divided. It was the clothes that he had. That was it. That was all he had. Again, there's nothing wrong with having a home and, and having these things. But Jesus didn't get caught up in all of that. He knew why he came to earth. He was born to die. Thank the Lord, right? I'm so thankful for that. Um, We know that he was humiliated. We know that, again, this was a fulfillment of divine prophecy. I've already read it in Psalm 22 and 18, um, which is known, Psalm 22 is known as the crucifixion uh, psalm. Um, And for time's sake, I'm not going to read through all of it. I encourage you to do so. We're going to kind of break that down next week. Uh, Verses 25 through 27, the great king was crucified with sinners. We're told that Jesus was crucified at the third hour around 9 a.m., which would be the hour time 9 a.m., which was the time of the morning sacrifice. This is one of the most intriguing and just, gosh, Lord, you are so good. Right? You know exactly what you're doing uh, because this would be, have been the time of the morning sacrifice. Now, he didn't die until 3 p.m. What's significant about that? Well, that was the time of the evening sacrifice. And it was not only the evening sacrifice, but it was the time that the Passover lambs were killed. What was he known as? The lamb, the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice, right? Jesus fulfilled every type in totality. 
for people who say the word contradicts itself, come on, right? Not one time does it contradict itself. And if you think you found a contradiction, that's error on your part. That's misunderstanding on your part. That's a, you don't understand what, what the word is truly saying if you think it's contradicting itself. Because this is the infallible word of God. And, and these moments like this in scripture, they just make me think, wow. And two, they kind of make me think, Lord, I was so silly to doubt you in this area of my life. I was so silly to think that you wouldn't show up right on time, right? When he ordained the time of the Lord Jesus, even his sacrifice down to the hour, why would he not be on time for me? Why would he not be on time for you and handle your problems and your situations just right when they needed to be handled? He allows us to get to that point to where we think, oh, I'm really going under this time. And what happens? That hand reaches out <laughs> right in the nick of time, and it pulls us up right when we think we've gone under for the last time. He says, oh, no, not yet. And he pulls us back up, and he sets us back on our feet. He knows what he's doing. We're the ones who forget that. If anything would remind you, it would be this right here that he knows exactly what he's doing. An act of further mockery, they nailed the charge against him above his head, saying uh, the king of the Jews, John 19 and 20, tells us that this inscription was written in not one language, but actually three different languages, Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. Uh, and this would be the reason for uh, differences in what each gospel says that was written above his head. So when you compare all of them and the languages that they were written in, the title that was given to him above him would really have said, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. When you add those all together, that's what it would have said. Um, the phrase king of the Jews is a title that Jews did not recognize, right? But one day, one day they will recognize. Zechariah 13 and 6 says, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thy hands? Then he shall answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Wow. Think about that day. Think about that day for the Jewish people and the heartache, right, that is going to be felt there. Then in Zechariah 14 and 9, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord in his name, one. And that, that scripture is speaking to the second coming in the kingdom age, uh, which again is coming very soon. And I want to back up Zechariah 13 and 6, talking about wounded in the house of your friends. And we've talked about this, hit this several times, that there's no greater hurt than church hurt. Right, wounded by those that you think 
are the closest to you, those that should know better, those that should, you know, be like Christ. That is a great hurt. But I want to tell you, when we consider all that Jesus went through, our hurts, our hang-ups, our differences, nothing compares. And if he can continue to show grace, and, and, and the only time he opened his mouth, he was asking for forgiveness for others, we should be able to do the same. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. We should be able to get over and get past things, right? I'm not saying it doesn't hurt because it does, but we got to keep going. We got to press on, and we can't allow people to stop us from doing what the Lord's called us to do. So many have walked away from the faith because they've been hurt in the church. And I'm praying and I'm believing for those to come home, for reconciliation and restoration to take place, and that they will return before it's too late. Amen. So then Isaiah 53 and 12 um, promised, again, the confirmation that we had read earlier, that he was numbered with the transgressors. Verse 27 tells us, that with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. Now think about this. What did John and James ask to be on Jesus? One on, their, one on his right and one on his left, right? See how many parallels there are within the Gospels? Um, they wanted to be on the right, on the left, in your glory, Lord. That's what they asked for. And Jesus told them that they didn't know what they were asking. And they truly didn't know what they were asking, right? This is the hour when the Father will glorify the Son, and the Son will glorify the Father. This is not the glory that James and John had in mind, being on the right and the left, verses 29 through 30, and I'm trying to hurry so I can get through this. We see Jesus, King of Kings, crucified and again being ridiculed and mocked beyond belief. Jesus uh, is subjected to mockery and verbal abuse. Those walking past him or hanging around for the show derided him, meaning that they hurtled insults at him. They slandered him. Uh, they blasphemed him. Uh, the text kind of emphasizes that they kept on doing this. They didn't let up one bit. Um, it wasn't a one-time thing, but the crowd continued on and on and doing it. It says they also wagged or shook their heads at him in ridicule and sarcasm and taunted him. Um, they again reverted back to the part to where uh, his claim, they claimed that he said that he was going to destroy the temple and then rebuild it in three days. Again, a gross misunderstanding of the word of God because they were continually thinking physical instead of spiritual. He was not talking about the temple, the building itself. He was the temple. He was the temple, and in three days, he would 
rise again. Amen. And he did. Before he takes on that assignment, he uh, first must consider the immediate problem, those that were saying, save yourself and come down from the cross. And this temptation, and I really, this is kind of like it um, for the message tonight. This temptation to come down from the cross is not new. It's not a new temptation uh, at all. It was the same one that Satan threw at Jesus in the wilderness, right? We, we were there. It was a long time ago, but right at the beginning of the teaching. It's the same temptation he faced just a few hours earlier in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, remember to forego the cup of suffering. And even up until the last moment, Satan is trying his best to persuade Jesus to come down and reject the cross. Why? Because Satan knew what would happen when Jesus died on the cross. That his, his time was up, right? His fate was sealed when Jesus died on the cross. He knew that believers from then until now, their victory would be given to them when faith is anchored in Calvary's cross. He knew that. He did not want him there. He knew it would ruin, be his ruin, and our redemption. I'm so thankful he went to the cross. I'm so thankful he stayed there. He didn't come down. But he endured it. Why? Because he loved us. The attempt to bypass the cross is still prevalent today. G uh, Jason and I talk about it a lot on our Tuesday morning Bible studies uh, in Galatians. That goes all the way back to the law versus grace, right? Attempting to bypass the cross and live under law because law came before the cross. But you can't live under law and grace. It has to be one or the other. I don't know why people would want to bypass the cross. The cross is the most glorious thing that happens in the life of a believer, the, the, the realization of the cross. Because now we can rest in that finished work. We no longer are held to the law. We couldn't keep it anyway. Why would you want to be held to something that you knew you were going to fail at, right? Accept the grace of God. Rest in the finished work of Christ. And then lastly, verses 31 through 32, we find that Jesus was crucified not to save himself, but to save others, you and me. The cross still saves. It still saves that saving power, that saving blood is still flowing down Calvary's cross today. See, the religious leaders couldn't resist getting in one last dig at Jesus as he hung naked with sinners, ridiculing him from the roadside. I mean, think about this. This was uh, Passover. So many people were flooding Jerusalem, coming into town for Passover Think about all of those who saw Jesus hanging there. And they didn't just keep on going. 
they stopped. They joined in the mockery. They joined in the abuse, right? He says, and uh, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. Then they challenged him like the others to come down from the cross. If he did that, then they would believe. How ignorant and ironic, really, at the same time is that these are those who witnessed the ministry of Jesus for three and a half years. They saw the miracles. They saw the dead raised to life again. And yet, at this moment, they're saying, if you come down off of the cross, we're going to believe. Again, absolute mockery of the Lord Jesus. I can't help but think of those who come in and out of church. Well, Lord, if you'll do this, then I'll believe. If you can't look to Calvary's cross and believe that someone loved you enough to die in your place, nothing is ever going to draw you to believe and receive salvation because that's where it's at. That's where what it revolves around. So many people over and over and over again, well, Lord, if you'll do this and if you'll do that and if you'll answer this prayer, no, he's already done enough. He's already done more than enough. And all he asks us to do is believe simple faith and believe what he did was enough, right? But Jesus uh, it says if he was to save others himself, he could not save. And save himself, he would not do. These men again claimed that they would believe, but Jesus knew his mission in life. His mission was to die on the cross, right? The resurrection was never uh, a question, but if his death on the cross had not happened, there would be no need for a resurrection, right? What a savior that we have. He stayed on that cross. He stayed on the cross, right? They say they would believe if he had to come down from the cross, but we believe because he stayed on the cross. That's why we believe. That's where our faith is anchored or should be anchored because he stayed on the cross for you and for me. Mark tells us the two robbers who were crucified with Jesus also reviled him, meaning they insulted him, uh, and they did so repeatedly. But in Luke, tells us that one of them will have a change of heart before the day ends, right? You know this story. He saw something in Jesus that moved him from insulting him to trusting him, right? He went from bashing the Lord, mocking him, to trusting in him for salvation. He said, remember me, Lord. Remember me, Lord. Aren't you thankful that the day you cried out to him, he, he remembered you, he saw you because the word tells us that he knew us before we were formed in our mother's wombs. He said, I know you, child. And all we have to do is call out to him. And it's immediate. It takes place immediately. 
And what a beautiful thought that even ones that were hanging right beside him, that grace and that mercy was not held back, but it freely flowed. Uh, Brother Bob Cornell says something about Jesus' blood so powerful, uh, it was saving people before even one drop was shed, right? And that's the truth. Because you go all the way back to the Old Testament, and we know that Abraham, right, he was counted righteous. Why? Because he believed. The cross hadn't happened. The blood hadn't been shed. But the power was still operating in simple belief, faith and belief in what Jesus was going to do was powerful enough to keep him until that day came, until he died on Calvary's cross. The thief on the cross would not be disappointed. He would meet the Lord after death in paradise. We must never forget, no sinner will be disappointed who flees to the crucified king. And if you don't get anything out of this message tonight, and especially if you're viewing by internet, by Facebook, I just want you to know it's never too late. It's never too late, right, to call out to the Lord. I mean, you th again, think about this picture of Jesus on a cross in between two thieves. One dies in his sins. But the other, at the last moment, says, remember me. And Jesus says, this day I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. It's never too late. Some people will scoff and turn up their noses at bedside, um, you know, uh, people who get saved on their deathbed. Praise God for it, Right? It's never too late. Don't give up. Don't allow the enemy to convince you, oh, well, they're never going to get saved. That's what he wants you to believe. But it's never too late. It can be the most vile of situations. The most horrible things have taken place. But Jesus still died for that individual. And all he wants is for them to turn to him and say, remember me, Lord. Remember me. Forgive me, Lord. Right? That's what when you search those, that phrase out, that's what that is. It's a, a repentance, a confession that, Lord, I need you. It's that simple. I don't recommend waiting till your deathbed. But if you're there tonight, if you feel like you've gone too far, I want you to know you can never go too far, and it's never too late. So tonight, I want you to stand, and I want us to just for a moment thank the Lord again for all that he's done for us. He's not, again, ask us to do one thing but just believe in him. Why? Because he paid it all. He did it all for us. And tonight, maybe even just at the closing of this message, the Lord laid someone, in, someone on your heart to keep believing for. Maybe someone that you had kind of already given up on and said, no, I've, I've already prayed long enough for them. No, don't stop praying. Never stop praying. 
it's not too late because Jesus not only paid it all for you, but he paid it all for them too. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if someone's on your heart tonight, a family member, a friend, a coworker, I just want you for the next couple minutes, three, four minutes, that's not too long to go to the Lord to call out the name. If you have another need of, if a need for healing, whatever it may be, we're here to pray with you tonight. So as the music plays, I'm just asking you to simply respond. Go ahead, Vanessa.
we thank you tonight. Oh, for the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, that with one drop you paid it all, Lord. Every sin, debt that we could accumulate, God, your blood paid it all. And we thank you for it. I, I pray for those that are watching tonight, Lord. I pray that you touch their hearts. That, God, that they not uh, turn a deaf ear to your Holy Spirit. But, Lord, they heed to that drawing tonight. I'm claiming souls tonight in Jesus' name. Those that have walked away from the faith, Lord, tonight, they're turning their hearts back to the Father and I thank you for it, Lord. I pray that you continue to be with each and every one of us as we go our separate ways. Keep us safe, Lord, until we gather back together. And we'll give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Love you guys. Have a good rest of the week. And we hope to see you all on Sunday. Regular service time, 1030.